Hello and welcome to your review for the 24th of January 2023. I'm your host, Grim McKay, and I'm joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Christian Wolf. How are you, Christian? I'm very well, Graham. I was ready at 8.29, mm-hmm. ahead of the scheduled um, start at 8.30, so I, I think I'm winning. But Graham, I think we need to talk about you in this uh, intro slash band section. Um, for the listeners, you obviously can't see this, but it's quite a visual treat because you have one eye that looks fine. You have another one that looks completely blue and a bit of black. It's, it's slightly looks like you had a very heavy eyeliner as well. But what, what's happened, Graham? It's it's a it's a phase I'm going through. No, I was in <laughs> I, I was in Munich for the weekend uh, because I was supposed to be going to the Bell and Sebastian concert that was cancelled, uh, and I had already paid for the hotel, so went down anyway, and. I had gone out because it was a normal night. Uh, I went to a bar to watch a Bayern Leipzig game, and when I came out in the in the hours that I'd been watching the game, there had fallen about twelve cent uh, twelve inches of snow. And as I was m- making my way back to um, the hotel, I with my trainers on because I was not expecting twelve inches of snow, I somehow managed to uh, a staircase fall next to a wall, hit my head on the wall and bruised my elbow, my knee and a pretty substantial bruise on my butt cheek. Nice. Was that purely down to the snow then? Because I have, you know... Uh, a few beers were had, but yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't chalk it down to that, you know. I mean, it was only, the game was only in what, 90 minutes, so there wasn't that many beers had. So. Also, it's one hell of a snowfall if you've got 12 inches in about a couple of hours. Yeah, well, I'd maybe been in for an hour before the game, so maybe there was a few other drinks. Okay, out, so, okay, yeah. yeah but I hope you're feeling better soon. I, I feel, I feel fine. It's just, it's superficial. My eye isn't even sore. It's superficial. Oh, I you're mean, good. I mean, you're fine to go back to work then. So I'm signed off now. So <laughs> what can what can one do? That's what I ask. So we have got a packed schedule, so we need to move swiftly on from the legendary band section of the podcast and get started talking about the games that we're going to review. We're not going to spend too much time on it because A, Morton can't really tell us much, and B, we had just examined St Mern before playing St Mern. So we're not going to spend too much time on it. But Christian, you sent 10 pages of notes anyway on just St Mern. Yes, yes. So where do you want to get started in this game? Well, let's see how fast this is going to be. I mean, you, you said this, you know, you have to move fast because you've got lots of things. I've suggested two things you can delete off it, but you, your words were, I'm getting you cancelled. So we're doing the games really quickly. So I just want to put out full disclosure for the listeners. Uh, but you tried to do that every week, so that's fine. Yes, St. Mirren. Let, let's start with St. Mirren because... It was the first game? Yeah, it's, logically, that's the German in you um, <laughs> coming out as well. <laughs> It was just a couple of things, and that kind of leads into a couple of the players as well, which I thought was kind of good, because St. Merman's always like that kind of the bogey team in terms of how they set up and nullified Celtic in the in the first game. And on the other side, we also talked a lot about how teams kind of try to man-mark McGregor. I think we saw another version of that in this game as well. And then there's a couple of other points we can bring up quickly as well. But I think, first of all, you what you expected from Samaria, you got as well. You know, they, they came up in this kind of two, three, five 
block, if you take it from the front to the back when, when they defend. And as Kilmarnock did as well, trying very much to kind of compress that space between the lines. You know, I've sent you a couple of screenshots where you can see Alistair Johnson actually got the ball just inside his own half. And they almost look identical. But as I said, they are two minutes apart. We have you know the front line with the two strikers and the midfield line, the midfield line of three just behind that. And what do you think about five to ten yards between them? And you also then have the centre back or the defensive line pushed up, especially one of the three centre backs pushed up. So when Matt O'Reilly tries to get into the space between the midfield line and the defensive line. That kind of free, that third centre back that we've talked about before jumps up. So you see, like this is maybe even more compressed than what Achille did. He's talking about maybe twenty yards between the striker and mm-hmm. you know the centre backs there. So again, same tactic that we've seen from a lot of teams. And we'll talk a little bit how it did, but again, I thought in, in periods, Samarin did well. You know, I, I think one of the key things across the last three games. You know the semi-final this game, and then also Morton is that Celtic take the lead through a set piece, right? So it's it's a free kick swung in against Kilmarnock, it's a corner here against Samarin, and obviously a penalty against Morton, and that really helps. I think Celtic in these kind of games too, because you do have these teams that are very specifically set up to to do this compressive, maybe not Morton so much to be fair, but <laughs> the other teams as well. So if you have that ability to to create chances and get goals from set pieces, it is going to help you a lot because it takes you know it takes a lot of the pressure off. Not that Celtic is too faced from these things, but I think teams are getting good. At least some teams are getting good at at least deming up for that kind of open play early goal against. And as longer they can do that, obviously uh, the better for them as well. So. Again, I thought Samarin's setup at the start was was good. Obviously, you get the early goal with uh, from Abada uh, from, from the corner. But I kind of wanted to pull out a couple of different kind of things. Uh, we talked about the McGregor man marking. So Rangers did this. Obviously, Killy did it. But whereas Rangers did it by pulling in one of the nominal wingers, Kent. So they kind of had two strikers and then Kent in the middle behind that. So it's like a two, one, three, four, if you look at it from the front in the block. Whereas Killy had more of a, like a one, one, three, five. So they had the second striker or the attacking midfielder would sit on McGregor. Whereas I remember it went for something interesting in, uh, for me, I guess, because obviously they had the two strikers, but neither of them really sat on McGregor, right? They kind of forced McGregor to fall between them. But when Celtic was trying to build up in their own half, what actually was happening is that Samarin sent up their, I guess, nominally deepest midfielder. So like in the midfield tree, you have like this the one in the middle there, um Erha Erhan. That's probably not mispronouncing that terribly, but he's probably you can almost look at him as a that's the deepest kind of pivot. It's not an attacking midfielder or anything. It's more like the base of that midfield tree. But he's the one who actually jumped up on McGregor when McGregor kind of trying to get the ball in his own half around the center circle. And he would, when Celtic kind of went back, Sam Marion would kind of follow and he followed as well. So it, 
it, it was a different kind of man marking to what Rangers is Rangers did, and a different kind of man marking to what Kilmarnock was trying to do. So it was just like another version of that. And the other kind of difference was that because obviously Iran was part of that midfield tree, when Celtic got into Samaritan's half, he kind of left McGregor alone and he kind of fell in, you know, with his other two central midfielders. And, and you know, still quite close to the strikers. Well, it, it was a clear thing that they didn't want Callum McGregor to have lots of time on the ball in Celtic's half. And then what if, you know, the game progressed down one of the sides further up Celtic's, um, you know, Samarin's half and Celtic got further up, he kind of fell back in and, you know, McGregor was okay to get the ball then. But it was very specific that he would not let McGregor have much time on the ball in the build up in Celtic's own half. One thing that surprised me about the game was uh, based on the last time we played St. Man and based on those two Kilmarnock games, this felt much more comfortable. Why do you think that was? Because my my initial uh, watching of the game, I was thinking we were looking more comfortable because Kobayashi was more comfortable in the ball. Yes, I'll get to that. Because I want to lead in because I and I, th- I think in a way you're right, but I still think you have to give credit to what Samir was trying to do. Because the other thing they were, and, and maybe some of your some of the answer to your question comes from this as well, the use of that kind of spare centre-back, as we talked about. So Samir would push quite high up, right? And I think they were more aggressive than both Kamarnock, especially Kamarnock, but a lot of other teams when it comes to pressing Celtic higher up. So I sent you a couple of screenshots again. For example, you have the two strikers up 25 yards from Celtic's goal. Mm. And then you have the midfield tree coming after that. Again, um, you know, defensive, like the central midfielder jumping up on McGregor, but very short distance between the mid, it's striking, uh, two strikers and the midfield line. So you've got Matt O'Reilly kind of falling in behind that. But then you, as soon as you have that, you have the center back jumping up. So you leave two of your center backs and then will be your left-handed centre-back or your right-handed centre-back jumps up on Celtics number eight. That happens quite hard. It happens further down as well, but they did it continuously. So if Matt O'Reilly fell down deep when St. Marion was pressing high, they would jump up into Celtics half. If Matt O'Reilly got between the midfield line and defensive line in St. Marion's own half, centre-back jumps up. Matt O'Reilly goes over to the left-hand side to kind of try and help out to create an overload on the left-hand side. The right hand centre back jumps up. So it was, and, and they were very much were jumping up if a player came into that space. So it wasn't like they were just following Matt O'Reilly when he got into there or just following Rio Tati when he was getting into there. It was when, if um, Bernabe was inverting um, and so on on the other side, then they would push up and protect that space. So it wasn't completely man marking either. But again, you see that kind of. Two, three, five formation in the block with that spare centre back jumping up, and they do. I think I think we're doing really well, and they were really aggressive in terms of how high up they were going to do it, and so on. So, I think they did that well. But then Celtic kind of got into positions wide. What they also did, Samarin did well as well. You, you, we talked a lot about this in the away game. So. When Celtic kind of defends down, say, the left-hand side, and they have, you know, your left winger in Maeda, you have maybe Kyoko coming over or 
Hatati, you know, the number eight, the fullback coming in. Very, very quickly, St. Marin, and if maybe gets into like their final third, what St. Marin does, they kind of create this box. So they have the two of the midfielders and the right, for example, the wing back, in this case, the right wing back and the right center back, they jump out to kind of create a box of four. Mm-hmm. Against sometimes against three Celtic players or four Celtic players, but a very good way of kind of yeah, essentially boxing them in. And then, but even behind that, you had your middle centre back coming in, and you had your third midfielder as well sitting beside that. So you had this box of four to kind of push Celtic out, crowd them out. But even if you got through that, you had this other line of two players just sitting like five, ten yards behind that. Again, they did this very well, you know. So even so, you get the early goal, but this wasn't the easiest defense to break down. So you can then how? But I, 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 I agree with you. After a, at least a certain point, especially after two 0 but often before that as well, Celtic felt a bit more threatening, right? And it felt like they were getting into certain positions a bit quicker. And I think it's. You know, once it gets to two, three, nil, okay, that's that's kind of it anyway. But especially up between, I guess, up to the second goal, because okay, the first goal is a set piece. But before that, you know, th- there was that kind of battle between Samarin's block and how Celtic was trying to break it out. And I think it's essentially three main things that leads Celtic to get into this position. The first one is essentially. As we talked about before, Celtic keep going and they kind of wait for San Marin to even make mistakes, but it's very hard to do this kind of block for that long against this kind of Celtic machine that tries to do the same thing, especially if you try and jump up a bit higher on Celtic. Because you have the examples where kind of Hatate got beyond the midfield tree, lots of space, and he had the runners. I think that kind of point where the McGregor man marking that's not easy to execute perfectly because at one point with Samarin pushed high up and you know, the midfield tree will come after Erhahan would follow McGregor all the way up. But then Celtic play wide, come up again, and then the mid, in this example, Samarin's midfield tree falls down, but then it probably falls a bit too quickly. And then McGregor is kind of free in the center circle. He can hit Joranovic on the outside of that Samarin's midfield tree. And again, he's, he's setting up one in one versus space. So just slight, you know, as I said, not even making mistakes, but not doing it perfectly. And the player Celtic have, they will punish you. But I think the other two parts is, is more about the Celtic. And the first one, finally, I've arrived at what you actually asked about, right? <laughs> about five minutes ago. Kobayashi. And well, partly so I can have a, a quick sip of water here, Graham. But when I say ball playing centre back to you, what what thoughts come to your mind? What do you say? What's a ball playing centre back? I think traditionally I would have been someone thinking along the lines of like Alan Stubbs, someone that could ping the ping the ball. Um, Again, when we moved on from that and had someone like Virgil van Dijk, it was someone who could march up the park with the ball. 
But I think one of the things I've, I've noticed about the way that we play is a, the ball playing centre back we want is someone who can basically do a McGregor, but in the central defence, and that is just take the ball quickly, move it on, and be comfortable in tight spaces. Yeah, let's let's move on. No, I'll, I'll <laughs> say I've always elaborated on that. So, so this is what I think in terms of specifically self. As you say, you have these big diagonals, this you know pinging them around from from the back. Or you got defenders, I say, stepping out. You know, virtual Ayer was was very good at that as well. Had to get your boy in there, didn't you? Um, did I? Yeah, I just I took took a name uh, random there. I mean, you could have gone with Shane Duffy, but I, 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 I could have talked about what, yeah, I could have. Um, he did ping balls. To be fair, he just pinged them into the stand. Mm-hmm. But what I think when you say about ball playing centre backs, it's not really doing those big Macy runs or heading him in true balls. For me at Celtic, what Celtic need, I think we have one of the questions about this later as well. For me is, I'm going to use a fancier term, which is press resistant. But it's essentially what you're saying. So somebody who's comfortable with attackers pressuring him and he's comfortable in a way that he can still have the calmness and the ease to find the right short pass and he'll do it quickly and confidently. And essentially, so you can't force him all the time to go backwards. He has the technique not to lose one or two seconds when he receives the ball. And essentially, he, I think he's playing pro, yeah, forward passes, but quite not outrageous like caviar ones. Playing the smart passes, simple, quickly, effectively. We're just talking about one or two seconds here and there. And essentially keep it ticking away. I think Mike Gregory is a, is a great example. I could have just said, yeah, that's right, Graham, and go with that. But I wanted to you know, hear my own voice a little bit. But I think it's essentially like, and I think that what I, I really liked about Kobayashi, I think he helped getting Celtic into good positions quicker. Simple, crisp, quick passing. I sent you a couple of examples. You know, one where he receives the ball right dial to the edge, so his own half on the left-hand side. You know, he's got... Uh, player covering JD. He's got the two strikers. He's got Starfield free. And I think a lot of Celtics centre-backs, maybe not all the time, but in that exact position, I think to just go back to the other centre-back and play it, you know, sideways. Kobayashi does. It's very simple. He just puts, puts his foot on the ball. He looks up. He almost kind of quarterback it in terms of he lets Rio Hatate make the run in front of him, he sees the run, he sees the opening, and he plays the ball straight forward. Now, the ball goes pretty much straight forward, but because he has the calmness and kind of that collectiveness to just look ahead, kind of wait for the run happening in front of him, he sees the run, boom, he puts Hatati, you know, into the final third behind him, defensive line. But it's, it almost doesn't look like a you know, a line splitting pass because it's on, on the wide, but it's, it's simple and effective. I think a couple of those times, another like very similar situation a bit later. Again, he stops the ball um, into his own half, just slightly left of the center circle. He's got two strikers. Essentially, I, edge of either side of the center circle. And you've got Callum McGregor bang in the middle. Now, again, I don't think either of Celtic's usual center backs make that pass into McGregor. There is space there, but because McGregor is banging in the middle of the pitch and he's got a striker four or five yards to either side of him, 
they kind of go, ah, I'm going to go wide. I'm going to go back. But when Kobe actually makes the pass, it looks so easy. And because he makes that easy pass, he doesn't really dwell on it or think about it half a second more. He goes, oh, McGregor, boom. And McGregor's technique, he just stops it, pings it out wide because Hatate is doing that rotation. So often it's about, see, even if you don't see centre-back, see like a perfect pass between the lines, just by playing it quickly and crisply, confidently, one, two passes down the line, it might open up because you got guys like Hatate, you got guys like O'Reilly who make those runs, you got the inverted fullbacks. And that's what happens. So uh, I think that's Kobayashi helped with that a lot. But it didn't. It wasn't like a, a highlight reel of you know amazing passes. It was just quick passing, smart passing, confident passing. And he, I don't. Maybe it's a bit of you know um, bias coming in, and you you think you see things. But he just, I don't know, he just looks comfortable mm. when the ball comes to him, doesn't he? I think the quarterback thing for me is is quite right because a, a good quarterback when the snap happens. Can decide to quickly lay it off, and that can create like point scoring situation. Or they can wait, and they can wait, and they can have the 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 other team bearing down on them, and then they get the pass off. And it's about having the confidence to do those two two different types of things. And, and, and I guess we kind of said two different things because we said we we want somebody to move the ball fast, which we do. But it's also that thing of putting your foot on the ball and seeing the runs as well, because it's slightly different things because if you if the centre back has the ball in that position you got a block in front of you. I mean it, it's not you know the, the block is there. You're not really going to move the block by a really quick pass. And it's knowing when in which situation you kind of go, okay, I'm gonna hold the ball for a second to see if there's any runners happening in front of me. But then when they actually happen, just execute it. And I think that a lot of this is just confidence and being comfortable in your own ability technique life I, I think um so no no i mean kubi actually was a big part of this there's another but the other part of that is also like talking about movement a lot there was one really nice episode of on one nil but as i said samarin did this really well and kamarnik has done this well in terms of using that spare third centre back to jump up, if so, especially in these midfield tree that the opposition have in this block, you often then get a little bit of space on either side of that midfield tree because you can invert your fullback and you have Celtics number eight. But what these teams have done quite well is that then just the centre back behind that just jump up. So there isn't that two against one, but it's a really nice situation in the first half where Kyogo actually makes a run almost right next to Jota when Uranovich have the ball out wide. And because he makes that run beside Jota, he pulls things shook. And I see like the um, uh, anyway, right center back, he pulls him with him. And then the ball, JD actually plays it back to Kubayashi. But because Kyogo has like kind of dragged the right center back quite deep, Kubayashi again, again, Hatate, Uranovich plays the ball to Kubayashi. Uranovich comes inwards. Then St. Mirren, wide midfielder, follows Uranovich, and then Hatate rotates out wide. And then suddenly Hatate's got a lot of space out wide because five seconds earlier, Kyogo went wide and dragged the right centre-back with him. And suddenly you got that two against one. 
So against that, kind of all those things come together, Graham. You got Kyogo's really good run, first of all, five seconds before. Balls go back to Kobayashi. Kobayashi, simple but quick pass up to Hatate, who's rotated position with Juranovic. So that's another kind of movement. And suddenly you're two against one in a really, uh, really good area. And, you know, it's, it creates a situation down that side. So, uh, so you have that quality on the ball as well. You know, I think the last thing I put sent to you as well is that, you know, Submarine again has that box of four out wide. They have the two defenders behind that, you know, boxed in. What are you going to do? Celtic just does really good incisive movement. Like Jota kind of gives a couple of space. He pulls it, he sends a ball in between into that square towards Hatati. Hatati just, you know, jumps over it. O'Reilly has come over from his side at one touch back out wide to Jota. So you got these three, just three excellent players on the ball. Jota, Hatate, O'Reilly. Excellent technique, you know, clever like intelligence, quick passing. And then you create something. And I don't think that's the one where Jota gets the ball first in penalty. And I think it's, you know, it's half a penalty, but you know, yeah, referees and that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it. So, and, just by like, just by being dead good in that, Celtic gets the chances. So, so just get better, Celtic, please, for Europe next season. That's us. It's, it's, for the, I mean, the goal is obviously um, a good example of that. Folks, again, what we talked about. So, in this specific instance, there's suddenly too much space, and it's, it's only about 15 yards between the Samir and front line and the midfield tree. McGregor can sneak into that middle because the defensive midfielder is not jumping up on him. They do the rotation where um, Samirant kind of wide midfielder is coming in. Hatati drops out wide. So again, a little bit imprecise from Samirant. Good movement from Celtic. And then you have Hatati's like amazing true ball to Kyogo's. Kyogo's amazing finish. So everything kind of comes together. So if you, you talk, bring it all the way back, Grim, I know I've been rambling, but you talk about you felt more comfortable. And I think it comes from Sam Raven had again a good defensive setup, but slight impreciseness, very good movement from Celtic, like doing the same thing, knowing the, where to move. But then you get players like Atate's, you know, incredible skill on the ball in terms of pass, Kyogo's run, his finish. So that's what makes Celtic so difficult to play against. Because not only could they go and get one nil on a set piece. So, I mean, they do what they need to do. They actually play really well in defense up until that. And then you get, but they, they're starting to get pulled apart by everything we said. And then you get something like the second goal. And after that, you know, the, the midfield tree is just bent out of shape the whole time and it gets just more comfortable. One thing um, I noticed was it was Peter Grant that was doing the co-coms on Celtic TV, I think, because Tom Boyd is doing this walk to the Arctic Circle or something for Celtic Foundation. And uh, he seemed really enthusiastic throughout the whole match about Kyogo's movement. And he said he was he was constantly saying that you don't see it on TV, but I'm seeing it here in the stadium that Kyogo's movement is just non-stop. It's intelligent, and it's it just gives Celtic something to work with. Yeah, I mean, I you know when I go to games, I try to to look at that specifically as well. But see if you have one of those wide angle. Tactics shots. I did do it. Celtic do film them, but they keep them in house. And to be able to see the whole thing because he is nonstop 
and non-stop in terms of sometimes I criticize Kyogo because I think he kind of runs a bit too much in the pressing, a bit too full on, but I think that's maybe more instruction, but it's non-stop and it, it, it is, it, it, it's, it's dropping deep. It's dropping wide. Like, as I say here, like that run, he takes all the way out wide beside your uh, posted right center back away. Doesn't happen straight away. Ball doesn't even come near him, but because he does that five seconds later, of course, Kobayashi does the right thing because Juranovic and Hatate does the right things in seconds after that. It's a domino effect, isn't it? So I, I think that case of when we talked about system fits and different kind of strikers, not to reopen the whole Kyogo and Gigi thing now because it looks like this is, you know, that, what of that discussion. That's one of the things we're talking about. It's not just movement as in running full pelt against the goalkeeper when a, a backpack comes. It's stuff like that. Constant, it's smart. It's a bloody nightmare to play against. And it's, as you say, I think you only see a, a fraction of it when you only have the, the angle we watch at, um, you know, on TV. And when it does come off like it did for the second goal, then it just means that the defenders can never rest. They're always going to have to track it because one time it might come off. Uh, but when it comes to the, the systems we're playing against this, this year, it seems to be that People or the managers we're, we're coming up, come up against are really putting some thought into how to stop this particular Ange system. And if we do have someone like Kobayashi at the back, that is going to be something that the teams are going to have to reference as well. They're going to have to do something about it. They're maybe going to have to change their man marking system eh, to take that into account if, they, if, if Kobayashi is so comfortable in the ball. Do you think, first of all, that's something that's going to happen? And what do you think it could look like? And secondly, do you think Ange gets some kind of like tactical pleasure about trying to unpick these defences? Or do you think he'd rather that he was playing in a managing in a much more open league where it wasn't about just attack v defence kind of chess match matches? I think on the last one, it must be a bit boring. I I know what Ange will say. I just, just just play the game, whatever. You know, but obviously I, I still think there is, I think that, uh, you know, we've got a lot of questions now. I think one of the questions are around it, but it is difficult to transition from having so much possession to games, in, especially like kind of Leipzig games, where you aren't pressured that much on the ball in those areas. And it's, it's like almost purely a, a training thing to be able to do that in games as well. Um, as you say, I, I think it's interesting that the specific teams who seems to think about it specifically, I think it's teams like Kamarnik, we talked about Samarin is one. County has had some interesting setups. I mean, some a lot more successful than others. And But it's funny how you don't come away, it's more teams like Motherwell, it's teams like that you come away and say, Okay, I can see what you're trying to do, and I can see the logic of it. But you think of games like Aberdeen, Hibs, and Hearts, like supposedly better teams, it's really not impressed by the tactical setup at all. And you do wonder if it's maybe one element. Okay, we're going to try and play a bit more football against Celtic, but I don't even think it's. I don't know if it evens a bit of a. You know, because it's easy for Celtic to get in, a Celtic manager to get into the thing of, oh, I got better players. 
I'll just let them play. Stop me if that sounds familiar, uh, Graham. But yeah, I wonder if that kind of sneaks in a little bit if your horse hips or Aberdeen manager as well, because you do have better players. And it, but and maybe you cope between am I going to place you know try and get at Celtic, but I think and and again I guess it's easier to sit in a block like this and hardly attack as well. But I think there's a reason why Celtic goes and score a lot of goals against Hibs. You know, I think they dominate Aberdeen to a large degree. You know, even the horse game, <laughs> they score a lot of goals. And, well, they still score goals in these games. They're often more frustrated in longer periods, especially from open plays. I, 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 yeah, I, I, it's interesting which teams in, in, in the Premiership is kind of always seem to have a fought-through tactical defensive plan, at least. Yeah. So we will move on to those questions referred to uh, before. So we'll start with uh, Liam. And Liam had to say, Celtic are only roughly three points clear on Stephen Russell's expected points table. I wonder if Christian and Graham, that's that's us, uh, could could discuss why this might be, please, and whether we should be worried that things may tighten, tighten up in the actual points. So I actually put this point to Stephen uh, on the old WhatsApp, and he said... He said truth, you spelt my last name wrong. Did, that's, the, that, that's the last thing he said. Yeah. He's got two L's in his name, Liam. I mean, <laughs> how would you like if we called you Liam L-L-I-A-M? Um, but he said the truth is... The gap between us and Rangers just isn't as big as people think. We've had a few late winners that have masked okay but imperfect performances. And also, and this is from an eyes point of view, we aren't as good as last season, in my opinion. I asked him to elaborate on that. He said, it's a mix of things. I think we're a little comfortable sometimes and we we go through the motions a bit. Last season, we constantly look for rotations to disrupt, incisive passes, etc. But this season, we're a little more sluggish, just going through what we should be doing and means we end up just dumping the ball in the channels more. Personally, probably the other thing missing Greg Taylor and Juranovic uh, when he's been gone is a much is much bigger than people realise. Even just for problems, so Rangers are a good example because of how compact they were in the centre. Okay, what do you think about that, uh, Christian? What do you think about I, I think that? I think, that I think that was painfully on brand from Stephen. Don't you think <laughs> that happens? Um, yeah. No, I, I think first of all, I think well, the, on the latest X points, I think Celtic was kind of edging, yeah, between three and four X points ahead of Rangers. And I think, yeah, I think the simple answer is yes. I don't think the gap. Probably, quote-unquote, should be nine points. I think in terms of you take, you know, the we call the performance, you know, the, the chances created for and against. I think even just a simple explanation why is it? Because Celtic has been able to kind of convert those slightly more sluggish games into wins, you know. Uh, especially, you know, St. Johnson away, but the other games where... You know, late winners and and so on, and you can and that that, that is a, a good thing to be able to do that. And I don't think it's purely random or luck that they do that because I think it is built on an ethos of keep doing what you're doing. Um, almost just getting tired playing against us uh, for ninety minutes as well, and you know that kind of intangible, I guess. That kind of tangible stuff builds into something, on, uh, I guess, on intangible that you can label belief. 
or you know the, the will to win if you want to call it. But I think it's built on on, on the system. But then again, is, is it sustainable? I, it, you you will probably get more late winners because of that. But at some point, you're going to come up come on stock mm. as well. If 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 you can't get a clear XG differential between you and the opponents, you are leaving yourself up uh, open to to lose point more. And I think it, it's and if you look at Rangers' performance, they're, they're bang on. You know, Rangers' points total is pretty much exactly what Stevens' models say they should be getting. Uh, and when we say should be getting, it's like if you play enough games, essentially. Your performance will, will eventually lead, to, you know, correlate your x points will correlate with your points. Obviously, it's not a perfect foolproof thing because these models never are. There are always some noise in the models. There's always things that change them. But thirty-eight uh, games uh, is not enough of a sample size, surely. Uh, as well. uh, yeah, and essentially, that's what Stephen says as well. Thirty-eight games will never be quite enough, but it will get you close enough. Mm. And not to praise them too much, I don't think you get a better model than Stevens there. Because I mean, Steven's just not, he's not only a wee nerd, he is a wee nerd. I was quite tall, but he is a nerd, but he, he does this stuff for a living and he, he, he's really, really good at it. And he, he keeps improving his model all the time. So if you're looking for kind of, okay, you can trust models, there's always some issues with models. But honestly, see this model, this is good. So you're going to get public. And I'll, I'll, it seems my mate, but I, he is that smart and he is that good and he does this for a living. So I, I think the model is, is, is quote unquote right in that sense. So, but I think, yeah, I, I think I roughly agree with what Stephen says. I think a lot of those sluggish games do come with teams. I don't think it's just a Celtic. I think his teams are getting a little bit, you know, they play against Celtic more. They've seen them more. They're studying them. They have more games against them. So I think schemes like some Aaron, Kilmarnock, St. Johnson, Ross Captain, Motherwell. Hardly any of them have taken points of Celtic, but you can see that in some games Celtic have struggled to get a goal or to get ahead. And, you know, they've lost a couple of goals and so on. And then a key parts of the season, you have a have key players missing. Cal McGregor was a big one. And I think, you know, I think O'Reilly did, at least domestically, kept it ticking over, but that meant he wasn't in the in one of the number eight positions, I think Juranovic not playing, you know, that much in the league um, doesn't help. Craig Taylor being out in the last few games, I think you can, you cannot, not to be painful on Brown as well, you cannot underestimate how good Craig Taylor is in that role and how well he reads it, uh, operates and executes it. Has, but I think that was the same last season for Craig Taylor as well. Last season, people didn't want. For some reason, didn't really want to accept that Greg Taylor was really good in this system. And this season, everybody's like, oh, player of the year. But I don't think he's, 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 Greg Taylor's improving all the time, but he's not doing loads of new fancy things he didn't do last season either. But I, I think he's a big, uh, a big thing in that. And then in those situations, then if you don't have your fullbacks, if you don't have your, your Callum McGregor, you are more reliant on the centre backs, which until Kubiashi can, we didn't really have that type of centre backs there. And then, you know, it's, that's what happens. You know, Gigi went on a non-scoring run, even though he got still lots of chances to outplay. And so, uh, I don't, I don't think Celtic is worse than last season. I think they're, you know, in in, a, in some ways, I think there some players have operated the system better and they're better. But I think 
you only have to point to the fact that you it, it's not easy to keep this going as well and team will get more clever to come back to the first point Rangers are probably closer to Celtic points wise you know in terms of performances and but it's not because Rangers is not getting points they're doing it's Celtic kind of eking out those two extra points here and there and mm. um, whereas by now you would think by you know the law of averages that they maybe should have dropped two or four points more what Celtic need to do is to you know keep I guess improving just making sure you create keep doing the same create chances try not to concede as many or keep that difference and you should be fine Celtic is still the best team in the league even yes. on points. so and I don't really think so much of this is going to get decided by the last two derby games or the last one even I think drawing that one again you can say you know you get that last goal as well and that's okay it's worth one point well it's, 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 it's essentially worth three points um, and denying ranges that so it's having getting over the line in these key games at certain times because I think Celtic is always going to put more XG's so much more XG against other teams that more often than not, you know, you're going to get the points. Whereas if Rangers had won, for example, the last game, suddenly you go, it puts a much more emphasis on the last two derby games. I think Celtic is just simply too good to be caught now with any points. And I, I, you know, I don't think Celtic would take less points than Rangers for the rest of the season, unless something strange happens. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, if the table doesn't lie, I don't think the X points table lie either in terms of that underlying performances overall. So in short, trust Stephen when it comes to X points, don't trust them when it comes to jackets, I think. Anyway. So I, I think we need to put this on record. So Stephen is up for, for the semi-final, right? And he, he came to see me on Monday. He, he drove, he stopped the car outside my house and he sent me a text saying, I'm outside. And I was like, so... We and he like wasn't a, picking you up to go anywhere? He was coming to see me, and I was like, I text because um, <laughs> we still have, like, the Lost in the Hospice uh, WhatsApp chat with Ruth. Mm-hmm. I text Ruth saying, hey, Stephen's outside. How long do you think it'll take before he rings the doorbell? And I, I, I didn't even go, I didn't, it's like, I didn't answer. I just, let's see how long it takes. And so he had to get out to the car and ring the doorbell, and he's like, I never ring the doorbell. I, I was like, you never ring it? No, I just text from outside. And I was like, I, I'm absolutely flabbergasted. But is, is this what the youth do? Is this what they do now? So was he expecting do- you to go out and open the door and just like say, come on in? Or I think he-, he expected that by the time after he sent the text and got out of the car, I would already be at the door opening up the door. Oh, okay. So he wasn't waiting for get out. He was just... He wanted this, so I could, you can just walk in and not ring the doorbell. And he says, I'd never rang a doorbell before. I always just text. And I was just, this is the maddest. It's the second maddest thing ever. He doesn't own a coat. He does now. He bought one a couple of days ago, but he didn't. Because we built him into one. Yeah. Because he doesn't own a coat. So he was, well, I mean, we went to the derby with him in February last year and he wasn't wearing a coat. And he was, took like an hour week on at walk on a beach here on Monday um, with his girlfriend. Yes, she does exist. We've seen her now. <laughs> 
And 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 he's like, it was it's like it's January on on the coast and it's windy and rainy. It's like and the semi-final was played in an actual monsoon. And he's like, oh, I'll just layer up with another sweater. I was like, it doesn't work like that, Stephen. <laughs> so I had to explain to him exactly how layering works in terms of you have to have one layer that's bigger than another to create room between them. So you, that's how you heat up your body. But so yes, I mean, come on. But his newsletter, check it out every week. After the games come up, he will have a detailed breakdown. So that is going to take us on to, as hinted from Stephen's point and the expansion from from uh, Christian. There, we're going to be talking about fullbacks for for a few questions. We're going to start the questions with a voicemail or a voice note, and that is from Naz, friend of the show, Naz, and he has. It's not really got a question, but he's just got points he wants to make about fullbacks, and that will take us into some questions we got from Ken and Martin also about fullbacks. So, Claire, when it, when you're ready, could you play the voice note from Naz? Hi, Sonix, it's Naz here. Uh, just some comments uh, for uh, the agenda this week. Um, with a lot of talk about uh, transfers and um, the, the amount of money that we're getting for players, I think some people may need to just uh, revisit the, the scene when Ange took over. Um, I think there's a lot of revisionism going around, particularly with where we are just now and uh, the excellent work that's been done by Ange. If, uh, if I remember correctly, Eddie Howe has been messing us about for quite a long time and that uh, we even had some player movement on his direction, even though he wasn't signed up. We had a new CEO with no football experience now. Uh, the new CEO in charge should have been given um, some support by the club, uh, particularly with uh, Nicholson, who took over, being at the club uh, already. And I think some of the sniping that's happening from Mackay uh, isn't fully justified. Uh, given that the board, uh, given that it's the Celtic board, rather, are we really surprised? And particularly with uh, some of the leaks to media and uh, their trusted lackeys online. With regards to the JJ deal, um, I think uh, I think we've done really, really well here. We've had one and a half year service. Uh, we've managed to get a younger, albeit a little bit raw, uh, right back, uh, raw for our system, I would say. Um, we've uh, more or less uh, paid the same money that we had for uh, Juranovic, if uh, numbers are to be believed, and made a healthy profit. Given his debut at Ibrox, I've got high hopes for the lad. Thanks so much. Cheers. Hail, hail. Thanks, Naz. Thanks to everyone who has sent in questions as well. Just, Naz, this is not the agenda. I don't know what you've heard, but this is the agenda after dark. Uh, but yeah, Juranovic has gone. He's gone to Union Berlin, um, who were kind enough to pay a few extra million over the release clause that was obviously in the contract. Uh, but we have a couple of other questions, as I said, on fullbacks from Ken and Martin. Ken said, tactically speaking, has there been much of a change with Johnson and Bernabe in the team instead of Juranovic and Taylor? And Martin said, with Alistair Johnson, he, he seems far more reserved than Juranovic playing progressive or dangerous passes into the final third and doesn't overlap for crosses, cutbacks like Ralston. Early days yet, but will, will he progress and start playing a bigger part in chance creation? Or do you see Ange's tweaking system and he's more for progression and defensive security side of things than attacking. And I think I saw someone today mention uh, that Ange has played a 3-4-1-2 before and uh, they're wondering if that's 
this is not this is not Martin's question. This is just me adding to it and wondering if we're going to maybe move in that direction. But I don't I don't know about that. Uh, finally, he says to stay on the fullback theme, Burnaby. What's your thoughts on him standing in for GT so far? Just with eye test, he seems loose with possession early in games, but he also adds some decent chances later in games. Is he bad? As he is, is he as bad as uh, as bad with turnovers, turnovers as it seems? And is it worth it for his chance creation? So, Christian, the fullbacks. I think I already know what your answer is going to be on Alistair Johnson. Uh, we have spoken about him before when it comes to what he offers a team and what we can hope for moving forward. Um, what what do you make of those two questions, and where would you like to go with them first? Um, yes. Um, in terms of, let's start with Alistair Johnson because I think you've got a lot of questions on him, um, and I, I think quite different from you know and Aster and, and Martin as well. I'm probably more inclined to agree with Martin. I, mean, I think the Duranovich thing, I think it's, you know, it's, it's an absolutely good deal. And I think it's perfectly understandable that Duranovich in his position leaves. I think the other agenda today is, you know, I almost said it's one of those, like, quite pain-free, you know, everybody seems to be a good move for everybody and it's no too many hard feelings for most people. I think, I agree in terms of every aspect of that. Only thing that annoys me about that deal is that Celtic now don't have as good as right back. They don't have a good as right back in terms of just pure quality and what that right back can do offensively, specifically offensively. But also, they obviously don't have a right back that's as good as fit into the system that can do the things the system needs you to do to operate as good as possible, as well as your Uranovich. Now, Uranovich is quite unique in terms of I love Greg Taylor, but I, I wouldn't put Greg Taylor you know, as a first choice in a traditional fullback role where you have to lots to do with speed and you have to beat players one-on-one. I would put him in this system, absolutely. In Uranovich, I would put him in any system for a fullback. I think he's got, you know, the quality is to if he needs to play it like Cafu, fine. If he, if he needs to play it so inverted, he's fine. He can do that. So he's he's quite unique in that sense, I think. So obviously, yeah, you have somebody in Alistair Johnson who I think essentially is, is very solid, good defensively in the duels specifically. You know, he's you know, strong, good speed. Um, you know, he seems to have a decent timing in his tackles. You can see that he's played you know, right centre-back a lot as well. But he does not have the offensive qualities, one, on the ball in terms of his technique, how quickly he can pass it. Um, he's been, I think he's talked about his before, he's been overly safe. He's showing, and I think in terms of then learning the system, I think he's he's showing some signs that he's, he's actively engaging with that role and he's actively picking it up. So I don't think it's it's you know everything is lost in that sense. It'd be interesting to follow his development and how good he can be within that role. But he is starting with a set of, of tools I get that is much duller than than Uranovich. It's simply put, and I think that's specifically offensively. So can he go and learn this role as well as Greg Taylor and be a right sided Greg Taylor? He can get some of the way. I think. Greg Taylor's got attributes that means he's just naturally better fit for this. And I don't think Alice Johnston would be as natural a fit as that. 
is he better than Ralston in the role? Yeah, I think he is. So, but I, I think overall, I could have just said in one sentence, I, I think he's a downgrade both for the system and towards Juranovic, but then it would have been hard to find somebody as good as Juranovic straight away anyway. But I think that's one for next season where I go, hmm, you know, we'll see about that. Um, so yeah, I think overall, I'd kind of agree with Martin, but like maybe it wasn't that surprising with it. On the other side, on, 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 on Bernabeu. So, so, sorry, just no, before you go on, can you see, could you see a, a situation? Because he is quite a defensive fullback. And he, if you were playing a defensive fullback system, you would trust him in that, you know, winning his drills in that uh, situation. Could you see the, the free at the back with him as a right side, right side centre back? I mean, having thought it for five seconds, I don't see how. One of the key things about Ash's system is that you have nominally two players on the wing, the winger and the fullback. But the kind of whole point of it is that you move one of them centrally, right? And in the other system, you have the, the winger coming in to do that. But if you really nom- nominally, and I use that word a lot, if you nominally have, say, a 3-5-2 or 3-4-1-2, you, really you only really have one left-sided or, or a wide player in that. So it kind of then, I think it's a bigger change than it maybe looks you know, on paper, right? Uh, in terms of if... if Ash was going to play two on top. I kind of see more as like a straight four for two more than anything and push somebody up. But I, I just seem to me you straight away take away one of the, the key aspects of this system, which is you bring your fullbacks in to create an overload, have lots of security defensively, and you have lots of players centrally offensive, but you also have that ability to then move, you know, central midfielder out wide, and you have that triangle down the left, for example. I don't know if you get that if you move that in. So if you add another centre-back in, I'd have to think about what kind of system that would be. Maybe you can have one of the centre-back steps up all the time, like a Kobayashi, but um, I think it's unlikely to see that. I don't think Ash has done that once. And I think he's he's had a lot of centre-backs <laughs> if if he needed to do it. So no, I, I don't really see it, to be honest. And so um, the it, Bernabe, Greg Taylor thing, it... How is Bernabe in transition? And do you think he adds something that Taylor doesn't add with the attacking threat? Potentially, because he is faster. He can run with the ball fast as well, and he's good at that. So he has physical attributes that the great don't have. And it's, you know, in, in terms of dribbling and the, the speed he can dribble and so on. It's just, you his speed. I think, I think the comparison with Johnson is, is interesting because I think Burnaway, he doesn't. He seems an okay fit for the system in terms of he's been there longer, right? So he'll develop in that as well. But I think where he has the potential to really do something akin to what Juranovic did on the other side, at the moment, as Martin says as well, is the execution that's really lacking. It's the imprecise passing. And specifically, and it's kind of, it's kind of like he's trying to do the quote unquote writing system wise, but he's not executing a lot of the simple. So we talked about how many, you know, mispasses he had in his own half. And so as well, whereas on the other side, whereas on the left hand side, the issue has been Bernabe's missed passes, sloppiness. On the other side, it's more like the passes he Johnson does, don't try. <laughs> so he always saves. So Alan's to Johnson hardly loses the ball. And it's almost a bad thing. Whereas Bernabe, 
loses the ball too much and he's just been too sloppy and kind of too imprecise. But if you look at potential of them, Bernabe's got so many tools. It just really needs, I guess, get sharpened and fine-tuned and he needs to, you know, not fall into a quagmire of just getting into space where he's, he's feeling he's, he can't do anything right on the pitch because he's got all the attributes. And whereas Johnson's attributes are good but a bit more limited, that kind of commands and it is a bit too safe. So it, it does. So I, I'm happy to be burned by his good qualities, but I think this is a great teller. He's so in the range of game. He's, he's such an integral part of this team. And if you now, and I say that, I mean, Ralston's played loads the last couple of seasons and it's, it's he's still done pretty well. And Anthony Ralston have certain qualities and attributes that has been very effective for this team, which Johnson will have as contributed as well. So I don't see Celtic's not going to fall off a cliff anything because of this, but it's taking one part of the machinery and kind of downgrading it slightly, not having Uranovich there and having Johnson there right now. I think he'll get better at it, but I don't think he'll get close to the heights that Uranovich was. Let's move on to Raymond. And Raymond has a question about uh, Ange and his time at the club. He says, with Ange agreeing that Juranovic, if, with Ange agreeing with Juranovic about maximizing his opportunities in his career, is it him unconsciously saying he will do the same soon? Three to five year windows seem to be normal for managers to stay. What level of club is the highest he would be offered? And I just wanted to relate this to uh, Tom English's comment on youth and the fact that we didn't really give youth a chance against Morton. Don't want to be agreeing with uh, Tom English, but we hoped there would be more uh, youth, at least on the bench, against Morton. Obviously, Lowell came on. And that takes us on to Daz. Daz has said, having seen Ben Doak get more and more minutes for Liverpool, regardless of how how pumped they are just now, how well does it that Ange didn't identify that he deserved more minutes and will his current unwillingness to play young players come back to bite us in the arse when it comes to homegrown status in Europe over the next couple of years? And then there's a comment from Kevin, and he said, after Ange saying you'll see some B-team players come through in the next 6 to 12 months, who do you think they'll be, and do you think it will be having a bearing on new signings? I didn't see that comment from Ange about uh, B-team players coming through, but I don't know, you'd think we would have started to maybe give them some minutes off the bench by now. Mm-hmm. So, all in all, my my thought about this is that Ange seems to be very kind of uh, in the moment when it comes to his managerial decisions. And that does give me a fear that he is in the moment as a manager at Celtic and is not thinking about Celtic down the line uh, for five, six years, um, which is his prerogative. It's, a, it's a, his career. He can move on whenever he wants. So... What level do you think, what level of club do you think is the highest he could be offered when he does move on, if he does move on? And do you think we are being a bit kind of uh, negligent when it comes to promoting our own youth? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's aspects of this question that you can spend whole pots on. And we have spent whole pots on. And that's first of all, how Celtics youth development, you know, the status of it. Why isn't it producing more and so on? And the other part is you're absolutely correct in terms of Ange in the moment. A manager slash head coach for me should be in the moment. That should be their job because they'll get the blame if it doesn't go well usually. And they essentially, if you give them 
a free reign in terms of a free reign, but if they do not work within certain parameters of, say, promoting youth, size of the squad, recruitment process, they will do what I they think is best for that season. And that is, it's not even looking after themselves as such, it's looking after the first team here and now with, I guess, maybe a subconscious thing that unless I do win, I'm not going to be here. I think that comes back the pure fact that you need the the manager can't be that person who's responsible for looking three, four, five years down the line. Don't say the D word. Don't say the D word. Technical director. So, but that that, that's all kind of all review roads leads to director of football. I don't know, but I said, and you know, let's not have the Aaron Moy discussion, but Aaron Moy is. Perfect example of this, where Ange specifically look, I need somebody for a short term thing, and he needs essentially needs him because Tom Rogic didn't stay, and I don't, don't know why he didn't. But so he goes, guy I know for free, old, not old, but he'll do a job for a year, and <laughs> essentially. I think you can't blame Ange for that. You know, he, that's you know, if if you give him the freedom to do that, any manager to do that, they'll do it. So it, it comes back to having if you give manager, you know, you need somebody who have a longer term vision for the club that can combine the here and now this year with also three, four, five, ten years down the line, put clear process, guidelines in place, rules essentially for the management he has to work within. Celtic is very happy to give Ange carte blanche. And in a way, as we talked about before, overall, considering the alternative, which is the shit show of our management structure and the board and their complete lack of vision, you have you know Peter Lowell, who not once in 20 years and helped managed to maximize Celtic's potential. You know, the alternative to Ange giving that power now is is that, essentially. Until I see any evidence of otherwise, it is that. So, yeah, that is the best thing we can hope for now is Ange. But, uh, same thing. I, do you have confidence that if Ange goes, all the good things about Celtic's recruitment process now, all the good things about how play... You know, there's at least some integration between that. Do you think that's going to stay? Do you have confidence in that? I don't. I think you can end up in a situation if you get the wrong manager again, you end up where you're back. I, I, I think it's built around Ange Postecoglou, and if Ange Postecoglou leaves, whenever he leaves, it, it might fall down. Hopefully, not. Hopefully, there's more structures in place. You wrote an article well, again when we had Brendan Rogers there that you should be replacing with a director of football. I I, I struggle to see any significant difference between Brendan Rodgers, what he did, how he built Celtic up, and how Ange Postacoglu is doing it. Is there better people in the background and the process and everything? Hopefully. But can that be overridden by really poor manager choice? Again, absolutely. On that, uh, Daniel McGowan's playing the Football Manager 23 at the moment. He's a a year on and he has told us that uh, 
Brendan Rodgers got sacked by Leicester, Ange Postecoglou took the job, and Neil Lennon was re- replaced Ange I mean, at Celtic. So we can, on serious other ground, do you think it's completely out of the question that when Ange Postecoglou go, say he went in the middle of the season, Daniel Lennon wouldn't be brought back in some position? Absolutely not. No, I, I mean I, I think they still blame the pandemic for for how Neil Lennon went along. So. I mean, it's, so, uh, no, so uh, in terms of like the actual question, I think Ange, I, I think I said before, unless some sort of weird stars align at City Group, I think you, you're probably looking at, you know, in England at least, you know, mid range. You know, you can get, I think, a club like Everton, Leeds, you know, Aston Villa, big, you know, quote unquote, big clubs can go after them. Quote unquote, smarter clubs, you know, Brighton, Brentford could go after them uh, as well. I don't think he's like, I think he is here and I think he does think about his career, but I do also think he's aware that there's lots of things he can do as Celtic that as a lot, for example, in England, there's lots of clubs he can go to there and not have the same probability of doing that. Right. Mm-hmm. I think as, as with your honor, he probably would like to go to one of the top leagues, but I also think he won't go there at all costs. I think he knows it still thinks he can achieve something. At least I'm telling myself that. So. Well, Andy Walker this week put him forward to replace uh, Jurgen Klopp at uh, Liverpool. So you have that. Imagine that. I mean, I, I don't think I don't think one of the top six would go for him. I don't think they just would go for the Celtic manager. Period. Now. Maybe like the way Liverpool had Hulaire and was it Evans at the same time? Maybe they'll yes. have yeah, that worked out well. and Gerard four months. So yeah, yeah, yeah maybe maybe see. What we'll have one last question before we oh wait, we're getting breaking news. Uh, Ab- uh, Darvell have beaten Aberdeen one nine in the Scottish Cup. <laughs> I mean, they're not even from two of the best Ayrshires, and they still beat them. Nice, uh, I've seen Aaron Connolly talking about how they're kind of financially doped that team, so they're, they're signing players you, from. Yeah, you maybe shouldn't repeat all the things Aaron said. <laughs> <laughs> so let's have one question, one more question before we move on to looking at some news stories. Uh, we will take the one from Jambo Roy because that can lead yes. us into what we want to talk about next. Jambo Roy said, "With rumours very strong on O being signed, was a good." What does a good rest of the season look like for him? And that can maybe take us on to talking about what you've put together for O. I see you can order anxious question there. That's, that's we'll, come, we'll come back. We'll come back. Okay, maybe okay. next week. <laughs> um, on O, yeah. I was, I was just lining up that joke, so I kind of forgot to listen to the rest of your question there. Oh, can we so expect we're, from... We're talking, what, we're talking about o. yeah. Yeah, what can we expect from from the rest of the season? What, what would well, be regarded as good for the rest of the season? I think you'll find that. When you listen to this podcast, you can log on to uh, at Night Missing on Twitter and look at his uh, stat report because I will send that over, I promise. And uh, so Claire and Gal can put it out tomorrow. But uh, Graham, I've, I've, I've had a look at the stats. Let's go through his stat. Let's, ha- let's have a look at this uh, this young fella. Um, so obviously, um, oh, let's just say, it. let's go with O for now. Um, come through the ranks at Suwon. Uh, Blue Wings, of course. Um, made his debut actually uh, in the K1 League just a week after his 18th birthday, uh, April 2019. Um, went was on loan loan to Sangyu Sangmo for almost 18 months from mid 2020 to end of last year. They played mostly in the in the K2 League then. 
But yeah, this year he's been pretty much a starter for someone in the K1 League. So I've kind of done a couple of different things with the stat report, which you'll see as well. One of the things I kind of want to look at snapshot of, you know, where does he play? How does he play in terms of the system? So mostly it's a one, especially lately, the it's more a traditional well, traditional four four two setup, right? So you have always usually one of two strikers uh in that system. And you can see from his heat map, uh Graham, like it's he's this pretty much he moves all over the opposition's uh half. Obviously so one is is for seventh in the K League uh out of twelve teams. So obviously it's not a team you expect, you know, a team that has about half of the possession. So he's in a system like this, a like four-four-two system, obviously, as one or two strikers, you, you will have to move a lot. And Graham, as you can see, heat map. There's, I don't know what, what you call that shape on the left-hand side. It's kind of like a big tick. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it moves all over the place. I think you are kind of ask, is, can you play across the front tree? Um, in Ange's system, um, I don't know. I think the wingers are very wingy. <laughs> that's a tactical that's a system because this starts so that's how I like my chicken wings and <laughs> yeah. my wings and, and they come in but I, I maybe not in, in in that specific system but could he for example link up with another striker play go out a little bit can, can he wander from a mid central position yeah I think he absolutely can but I don't think he's like uh, an alternative on the wing like maybe there's an alternative on the wing and that's a striker well maybe it's but it's, it's nothing in kind of his stats that's in where he's played so far, I've said that because I may have played in the front tree um, on the ranch as well. So I think I guess we can let's come back to his actual XG and goals. Because can I ask a question oh, on that? Before? So as always, you've got your your uh, XG and everything done by game, and uh, you have his expected goals at less than average for the league. Is that something to be concerned about? Well, that's how it's going to come to, but okay, let's do that now then. And we'll talk about all the stats a bit later. Um, so so it's it's actually, it's not compared to the league, Graham. It's, uh, it's 902 strikers in 35 leagues, ah. actually. So, yeah, so there is an overperformance on this XG in goals this year. So he's got overall 12 goals over, 12 goals from 8.3. XG. Of course, I've stripped out the penalties. Who do you think I am? Um, You're not a savage. I'm not, really. And uh, so that gives you per 90, 0.45 goals per 90, 0.31 XG per 90. Um, But just just, just for bands, I had a look at his XG and goals in the K2 League last season, where he had four goals but 5.3 XG, which is 0.28 goals per 90 and 0.37 XG per 90. So again, sample size, Graham, he's he's had no performance this season. And I think it's important to have a deeper look at his stats and see, you know, what was it like in the bigger sample size as well. So he did underperform slightly the season before that. Um, But yeah, you know, I went through and looked at, I only really had time to look at all his shots in the league last season. Yeah, and you can see there's, there's a couple of, you know, 
lucky bounces and stuff in terms of his some of his goals. So you can kind of see why he's been over it. But overall, um, his XG isn't like massive this season. You know, it is about average in terms of comparing them to those 900 strikers. But then again, you go, you know, young striker in a team in the middle of the table. You know, so uh, I think overall it's nothing all to be concerned about. I think the thing with his shots and and so on. Again, you say, can he play across the front tree stuff? It was interesting in terms of he is right footed. You know, Insta has him as right footed, but fifty percent of his shots have been with his right foot. Twenty seven percent has been with his left foot. He scored four goals with his right. Scored two goals with his left. Twenty three percent of his shots has been uh, headers. He scored six goals, six of his goals being from header. And you can kind of see that from his shot map as well. He's got a lot of, you know, his shots from kind of nine yards out, Graham, right in front. There's a lot of header there where he gets to a lot of his goals come from there. Seems like quite a high percentage of goals, headed goals. Yeah. And I mean, he, and he's, I mean, he is a bit over six foot. And you can kind of see in terms of some of his other stance, and I was going to start with, that he's, he's involved in a lot of aerial duels, right? He's in the top 16% of all these strikers in terms of how many he's involved in. And you can see his, you know, from his interception map, he, he helps out his team defensively because he's got a lot of kind of interceptions uh, in his own penalty box. They'll be going back to, to win headers and so on. So, yeah, no, he's... A total lot, like is in terms of kind of that just a physical build. We, we talked about kind of Celtics having all these links to strikers who at least have a physical build similar to to Gigi, and I don't think he's, he's as big, I guess, as you know, physical presence as maybe some of Gigi, but he's definitely has got a stature about. You know, he's taller than Chigogo. He's you know, he seems pretty strong as well. He is involved in a lot in terms of aerial duels, so. Yeah, obviously, he's, you know, a quarter of all his shots are, are headed. So, so he's, he's clearly comfortable with that. I think the only thing with his shooting, I think we can put this down to age at some point. He, he really needs to cut out some of the poorest shot selection. Yeah, he's got a few from outside the box, you know, a few pops, but he's, he's especially got this thing where he, he cuts in a bit from the wide and he takes a shot from white, you know, Far out, you know, wide in in the box and quite far out, and it and it's not like he's got a sight of goal. There's a lot of like cutting in into a lot of people and, and taking a shot with a lot of pressure and a lot of people in front of you. So there's a little bit of poor shot selection going on here as well. And I don't think you would get away with that type of shot selection under Ange Postecoglou in terms of when you get into those positions, unless you've got a real clear sight of goal, you need to re- like keep ball circling, look for, you know, a better chance and move so on. So that could be one, you know, his XG will, will go up a Celtics because he'll get more chances. But I think he'll also be taught how to not take a shot in a large degree. Because honestly, um, I, I said it comes back to age, but I can, some of those shooting decisions, like <laughs> with enrage, I, I think in terms of when he should just keep the ball moving. But I mean, other than that, I said, I haven't, Looked at him too much, but some of the other stats and what that indicates, you know, he's used to have a decent amount of of passes and possession, you know, above average. Again, a mid-ranking team, so that's not uh, a given. Seems quite secure on the ball. He doesn't give it away much compared to how often he's he's on it. A s- small clue to that is, is actually how much he he dribbles. 
Um, it, well, it dribbles quite a bit, you know, it's about, it's in the top third almost in terms of how many dribbles he attempts. Very high dribble conversion rate, you know. I noticed that lots of yellow dots. <laughs> it, it, yeah, obviously you can see where he takes those dribbles. Takes them, you know, I just said he wasn't a winger winger, but he's got a few dribbles out wide as well. As you can see, he takes them in the box, he takes them up. He takes them in his own half. Got a bit so two box. dribbles is very close to his own box. I'm not really happy about saying, to be honest. I, I'll, I love that, to be <laughs> honest. But, um, so yeah, and, but yeah, he takes a fair amount of dribbles, 2.7 per 90, but he completes 96% of them. No, sorry, that, that completely messed up there. He's in the top four percent, so he's in ninety-six percentile. He make he, he completes sixty-seven percent of them, um, which is essentially two thirds of a dribble. But for a striker, you know, in the position he usually takes them, that is a lot. Maybe it's to do that he, he wanders a bit and he, he dribbles a bit deeper down. That's probably you know what we've talked about before. Like starts our conversation, start to like look at stuff like that. You know, oh, why is that? It's obviously good on the ball, but he does dribble in, you know, areas of the pitch that maybe not a lot of strikers do. Um for me, it's pretty cool. Um as I said, he's he's used to that fighting in the air. You know, he's over six foot, he's involved in a lot of duels. Stuff like interception, ball wins and tackles, yeah, it's about average compared to like other strikers. Again, it's very team dependent, but I think it's there's things there that that are interesting. Um just briefly on the eye test it's, I was going to say he looks comfortable on the eye. That's, that sounds a bit sleazy. That's not how I mean it. it. It seems to, in the kind of same way, it could be actually kind of gives you good feelings. Like, yeah, you can kind of see. It's, well, I guess I'm trying to say it doesn't look awkward. Mm, <laughs> Some strikers just yeah. look awkward. <laughs> awkward on the ball. It, it seems he's it, got. You know, some some strikers look like that horse with the big ball, but we'll not talk about Jackie Matthews tonight. <laughs> I thought he was going to say Oliver Burke. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so, but I mean, he needs to improve, right? And it, there's things in his decision making and stuff like that. But he's on a very very short track. It's I think there is a lot to work with there. In a way that not in a way like there's a lot to work with here, but saying actually there's potential there, and this is somebody who you could can, can essentially build up because he is. I mean, Kyogo came to Kyogo came to what is 26 when he comes there, mm-hmm. right? So. He's not as accomplished as Kyogo. I don't think he'll go in and, and threaten Kyogo in any way. But can he play straight away and make a contribution? Yeah. I don't want to, I don't think he would put all the pressure on being a, a first striker. Is he, is he somebody who maybe needs, we don't know how good he is off the bench and stuff like that, but there's, there's absolutely things potentially. I think that's, this is, you know, it's not a, complete project and like you need to spend 18 months from before you can put him on the pitch I think you can put him on now and he can contribute but so do you think he'll be getting GG type minutes I, I don't think it's out of the question in terms of that you know I, I think I don't think he's that raw that he couldn't get minutes straight away but interesting to see if you know we talked about transfer committee as well if, if Chu is like the competitor to to Kyogo to bring him in and you, then you have a kind of like third striker, quote unquote, and is all that kind of strike. Yeah, you can mm-hmm. kind of see, you can kind of see that he, you know, has the potential to in eighteen months, two years to be the starting striker, and he, he'd be happy with some minutes. And then can he play slightly other position in a two? Or can he play a little bit wider during some games? 
yeah, I mean, he's, he does wonder a lot and he may, you might develop him into to doing that. And as I said, well, the Celtics wingers are very wingy. It could be an alternative, but if you've got five wingers anyway, he's not going to get much time. But I, I think there's a spot on the squad for him that makes sense. And I think if it's second choice striker, yes, to have him behind Kyogo, but then you're saying Kyogo is his first choice for the next 18 months, two years. If he stays, it's not like a direct competitor to Kyogo straight away, but is he good enough to be second choice and get less minutes? Yeah, I, I think I, it's potentially, yes, yeah. I mean, this season before, it looks as if Gigi said that he wanted away. Ange was using them a lot more. Like, he was shuffling them, you know, like it's only since the World Cup that Gigi's been basically getting the sub-minutes. So, I mean, I think that's something we could be doing, just bringing them on, giving them the odd game, maybe one out of every three or something as a starter. One of the big one of the big dots on his heat map outside the box is actually in that kind of left wing position. Is that something where he would just be going to kind of win win a header from a, a clearance or something? And also you've got a big dot in the centre circle. Does that do these two big dots suggest a kind of target man role that he would have been expected to be doing? I think it's just taking a lot of kickoff in the centre. No, <laughs> I know. I, no, I think it's a way of they, they playing. You know, if, as you say, obviously it's, it's, it's all, Don't worry, you'll see this tomorrow for yourself, listeners. But um. Yes, he's, he's got a big presence right in the centre on the penalty board. But the other presence, as you say, it's like it's deeper down, isn't it? It's not mm-hmm. so much right outside the penalty box. It's it's kind of deeper down, especially on the left hand side. It's, it's a lot right on the left. So yeah, I think he is somebody who, as part of that system, if you play a four four two, you you need those strike. And, and this is not just passes. This is all actions as well. So if you have a system like that, he's probably you know required to, to press a lot. I say, you know, I haven't actually watched him that much, but you can imagine that, you know, he needs to wonder more offensively and also defensively. He needs to drop more to be involved in the ball, because if, especially if you've got two strikers, you know, I mean, you can't just keep them up top like Aberdeen. And so he needs to wonder and he needs to do his job defensively as well. So, yeah, I, I think he's not from like his stats so far. It doesn't seem like, uh, whereas you say is a target man more. I know he drops deeper, but. But his movement is probably reminds you a little bit more of Kyogos that it is a bit more all over. And again, so I don't think he's it's kind of strike like Gigi is a very speciality. He'll come on in certain moments, he'll do something completely different. He feels a bit more like a Kyogo light in terms mm. of he's more more of his qualities, but still he's you know he's taller, he's he's obviously strong in terms of the air and he's involved in that, but he's got a little bit more movement. Um, at least he's had to do a lot more movement to this system. So kind of like um, South Korean Kyle Lafferty. Uh, yes. So yes. The, the Daily Record did a, a, a quite an interesting article, actually, where they, they put forward three points as to why he always a better fit than Cho for Celtic system. See, uh, I, I, I saw that headline, but I haven't had a chance to read it. So I'm, I'm, I'm now excited about you telling me why, because I was just like, tell me, tell me why. I, I well, first of all, they, they talk about goals not being, not telling the whole story and um, that Cho's played a lot more minutes as a centre forward and uh, O didn't really establish himself as a main strike until the second half of the, the season where he scored eight and ten afterwards. Uh, and they've also got the heat maps that we're, we're looking at, and uh, the the heat map for for O is just much more intensive than Cho. Cho is much more limited when it comes to uh, being involved uh, in the, the second in the opposition half than than O is. Uh, but that's what I wanted to, to talk about because 
Some people were maybe disappointed that we never got the striker that went to the World Cup, whereas we got the striker that gave up his place. So that, uh, would you call him from Tottenham? Tottenham striker, South Korean. Oh, um, uh, Son. Son. Yeah. We got the striker that gave up his World Cup place so that Son could come in at the last minute back from injury. So. In short, are you more excited by the by the prospect of O than you would be at the prospect of Cho, or is it just hard to kind of judge at this stage? Um, I mean, I mean, first of all, yeah, I think Cho is slightly different, but he also plays for the the second best team in the league in terms of how much work he has to do. <laughs> I think Jean um, Book took twenty five more points than Suv won, mm. you know, in terms of um, that. I, I don't know. I, true, again, he seems, from what little I've seen, I mean, he's a little bit more, I, I think he's, yeah, he's a little bit more mobile than, than Jack Mackis, but he is, is slight, seems a bit more of a target man and, and to have those attributes. But he also seems, you know, he is an accomplished striker. And I think he could challenge Kyogo to, to a larger degree. So if, if I'm... More excited, I, I think. Um, O's is roar, but he's still it's got the tools to push on. As his potential is, you know, could well be higher than shoes, right? In terms of what kind of striker I have, like an all like it seems a more complete striker. Like, mm-hmm. I guess what I'm trying to say is, it seems more like a Kyogo. A Kyogo, I think it's. it's Close to a complete striker in in a lot of ways. I think he is the like Son as well as in in that way. But whereas Chu seems slightly more specialized, I don't think he is as one dimensional as as Gigi. And I, I, that's really not a slight on Gigi because he's that one dimension was very effective at times. But I don't think you say look at Gigi and say he's an all around striker. Whereas Chu and Oh Chu is probably not as all-round potential as as always, but he's not also as one-dimensional as as Gigi was. So I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't mind both of them in the squad in terms of just of obviously the fact that Kyogo is he's coming up to twenty-eight. I think oh, so. That's it. That's it. So and I think he can still carry on in his current form a year or two longer. But there comes a point where a Somebody might come in for him, but B, you're not going to get the same return from him. So to bring in two strikers that one can compete with straight away and two that you can maybe line up as a more like longer term replacement. Yeah. yeah. I think there is space for all three of them in the squad to say that. If then, you know, the squad is big as it is, but it doesn't have many strikers. Putting on your robot hat, your your Excel table robot hat. Yes. Uh, would you be looking to sell Kyogo this coming summer? No. I, I I think mostly because he's, for me, such a good fit for the system. And I don't think you you wouldn't really expect a drop-off in performance from, from a 28-year-old strike. He's, you know, you reckon he's got a year or two at least at, at his peak there. I mean, it depends on the offer as well. Like you, you need to have a, a always be open for those offers. 
and I, it's you know again as we had to chat about Gigi and, and Juranovich as well. I don't think you expect tons of money for Kyogo. So so you weigh that up with what's his use to the system like right now, and, and what do you have in the squad? But also what what can you replace him with? Mm. Can you go out with the money you have at your disposal? And the market you're shopping, because even if you had unlimited money at Celtic, there's still a limit on the players you can get. I honestly think it's, it's difficult to go and buy another ready-made Kyogo in that sense. If you're still playing on the Anjibasta Coco, if you're still making do those things. I still think he, he goes to patches with his scoring, yeah, like an strikers. I think it's sometimes... Kyogo still is slightly underrated in how good he is in so many parts of his game. Like, I mean, in a lot of strikers are, you know, understandably judged on when and when they not score goals. And the thing with Kyogo's people don't talk about is, is the Champions League and so on. I mean, have we discussed that today if you have to go that? But he's, even if you had 10, 15 million right now, can Celtic just go and pluck another Kyogo from even with a really good scouting department? I mean, it's not easy. You can do it, but it's it's a tricky one to get as good as Kyogo in mm. that role. And it's but you need to plan for after him. Plan if if he's going to go. Plan if you know if his performances maybe start dipping off in a year or two. But it's, it's a really difficult one to replace. So you have to weigh that all up. Nobody's not for sale, but it's. Kyogo's a really tough one to replace. Alan McGregor's not for sale. So, yeah. so I'm just going to finish on two quick news stories. Chris Commons um, yes. w- wishes... Yes, always a good sentence when you started with Chris Commons. Yeah. Wish, uh, Chris Commons wishes Celtic would rotate under Ange as much as they did under Brendan Rodgers. We have played how many different players this season? Christian, can you remember off the top of your head? 27. I sent you the bloody spreadsheet because you asked for it. I know, I know, but I thought you might remember the number and we could have the, it was like, you know that bit in Moneyball where he's pointing to Jonah Hill and Jonah Hill just doesn't respond. That's what it's, happened there. It's done 25 outfield players. Any two keepers so far? Yes, yeah, 27. So. And the last news story is that Cristiano Ronaldo made his debut for Al Nassar and didn't score a goal. So that was pretty funny. Has there, <laughs> any, has there ever been a league? A country and a player that service each other so much. I don't think Trace. I just realized I, I, I can't go on about that, that youth question. We didn't really answer that because you put five questions into one, but that's an interesting one, you know. So, in terms of we'll be, should I, I mean, we'll, be coming, it, yeah, we'll yeah. be coming back to that. Uh, I want to talk about Dylan Reed next week as well with our Champions League squad chat. Are we also going to do other two games? You insist on squeezing in this time next week. So, should do that. I think your insubordination is to be tempered. Um, yes. But it's you, re- you and who's army? You and who's Me and Claire. We'll, we'll battle yeah, you. Okay, f- fair enough. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, this is Claire has just said she's in, so that's good to know. <laughs> this has been your review for the 24th of January. Uh, we will come back to you next, me- next week with more reviewing of things. Uh, we had a lot to talk about this week. We got for about 45% of it, so that's our usual uh, rate, because he just speaks too much. Christian, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's 
it's been an absolute pleasure for, for myself as well, Graham. I hope you don't hurt your other eye. Thank you to all the, the listeners sending in questions. I know some of you probably sent it into the agenda, but it's just, it's, we're always here as well, right? If you want to send a question into the review, you go ahead. If you send one into the agenda, then have done, they don't have time for it. Eh, well, they're probably going to give it to us. So yeah, just we, be, we'll get, just, we'll get this just be prepared for that. So. I, mean, yeah, I mean, would you would you rather have Alan Edgar answer your question or me and Christian? I think the answer is obvious. Yes. Yes. We will catch you down the road. <laughs>